there is never enough time in rehearsal to discuss Shakespeare's text the way you really want to, the way the kind of make the kind of deep dive that an actor and a director wants to do. But now, thankfully, Rob Miles, the creator of the Shakespeare deck and the creator of the show must go online has created the new podcast Owning Shakespeare, where in the first season alone, five distinguished brilliant actors and me spend an hour breaking down a, a Shakespeare text, a Shakespeare speech that is new to them and how that exploration um, can lead to greater performances. Rob, first of all, uh, uh, thank you for having me on and congratulations, because this is such a great idea. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, I appreciate getting the opportunity to uh, sort of decompress. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 825, Owning Shakespeare Podcast. The entire first season of Rob Miles' Owning Shakespeare podcast is now available wherever you get your podcasts. And it's a fascinating, valuable, and incredibly entertaining deep dive into the acting processes of six actors as they dig into a Shakespeare speech they've never looked at before. Now that all six episodes of season one are available, I want to share with you the conversation Rob and I had about how the Owning Shakespeare podcast came together, how I was a briefly unwitting test subject, and what Rob hopes future seasons will accomplish. Um, one thing that people won't realize because your uh, episode is nested in the middle of the sequence, uh, the, the jewel in the crown, if you'd like to interpret it that way, um, is uh, that yours was actually the very first episode that we recorded. Uh, and it was a pilot. Uh, and I kind of came and threw myself at your feet and said, oh, wise one of podcasting, um, can you uh, come and be my first test guest uh, to see if we've actually got something here? And really, it was that episode that convinced me that this was a worthwhile endeavor and worth taking some big swings on who we might try and get involved and get talking about this. Oh yeah, no, the proof of concept I thought was there from the jump because this sort of stuff is is fascinating to listen to. It, weirdly, it's not fascin fascinating to listen to in rehearsal other <laughs> actors, where every other actor says, shut up, we'll just work on my speech. Um, <laughs> yeah. Listening to other actors and their approaches is fascinating and I love the I think this might have been an alternate title you you might have considered text detectives which is another great way to describe I, it. I enjoy the assonance of it you know I was trying to go in the Shakespeare direction but what I still refer to the guests as our weekly text detective so it's ah. it's still part of the formats uh, but we went with owning Shakespeare as the title um just because um the active verb seemed like it was a bit more important it was it was about the process of doing but not just doing owning and owning means using your own process um throwing away some of the rules sometimes that we all inherit uh, and obviously we talk about that in our episode um, and so because it was about someone's personal approach that name just seemed to encapsulate the themes of the 
podcast as a whole, I suppose, right. um, better than text detectives. However, um, I also refer to our audience in the podcast as text detectives, because if they're listening to the podcast, that's probably why, uh, because they have this shared po- uh, passion and interest in uh, trying to wrestle with this 400-year-old poetry um, and, and try and bring it to life in the here and now, which is the, the aim, ultimately. Well, and the, the other thing about ownership is that one can be a text detective without acting it. And the point of detecting, going through this, doing all this work on the text is so then you can activate the text and act the role. And so that's amazing. And I know from working with you on the show must go online in three of your productions that you are uh, exquisite with text and 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 really good at articulating swiftly for your actors, you know, some very quick action verbs and ideas to think about. And, 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 and it's wonderful. It was great to see you do that in the show must go online, which was an incredibly compressed uh, process. This owning Shakespeare gives you an opportunity, you and your actor to breathe a little and, and do this in a more, in a more thoughtful yet fun way um what what was the greatest discovery you had in talking to your six actors and also t- tell us who the other five actors are <laughs> absolutely i mean i guess just to touch on the shaman's got line situation first of all thank you that's very kind uh that for me was triage in a way it was the emergency room of shakespeare you know <laughs> people were rushing through in a critical condition and you had to resuscitate them get them on stage and uh, here we go and then you kind of only do what you need to do uh, to to bring it to life to animate it um in the broadest possible sense this is a reverse format in a way because we're looking at one small piece of text and spending a long time on it um, relative to as you say the typical rehearsal period so it's nice to have been able to to flip that process around um in terms of our other guests We've got an incredible lineup for our listeners. We've got Isabel Adamarco Young, who was a Black British theatre uh, lead actress award winner uh, for her Juliet at the Open Air Theatre in Regent's Park in London. Uh, we've got Patterson Joseph, who's an incredible Shakespearean actor who played Brutus in the All African Julius Caesar at the RSC. He's also known in the UK as The Johnson uh, from Peep Show. Uh, and uh, he was in, I think it's The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio and a couple mm. of other Hollywood things. An amazing actor, consummate Shakespeare. Uh, and he's got a lot of really interesting and provocative things to say. He's looking at Shylock. Uh, Isabel Adamarco Young is looking at Cleopatra. We've got yourself doing Henry IV, part one, uh, which is a, a, the scene in 3 2 where he's sort of chewing out uh, Harry about being a tearaway. Then we've got Miguel Perez, another um, Show Must Go Online alumni. Uh, he's worked with Mark Rylance and Sir Patrick Stewart in the past uh, on Hamlet and the Tempest, respectively. He's doing The Nurse from Romeo and Juliet, which is oh. a wonderful bit of original parallel, uh, followed up by uh, the force of nature that is Deborah Amber, the artistic director of Southwest Shakespeare Festival, who's doing a piece of Richard III and looking at how uh, blackness has been othered in a similar way to disability. I was a kind of way into that. Uh, and then we're finishing the season uh, with Adjoa Ando, who is known, probably best known as Lady Danbury in the Netflix smash Bridgerton, uh, spilling the tea, as she often does. Uh, and here she's spilling the tea on Shakespeare's York from Henry VI, part three, uh, his rebuttal to Margaret's uh, famous speech, uh, where she repeatedly tries to humiliate him, puts a paper crown on him, um, and he, he's stoic throughout it, and then he gets a chance 
wants to reply, and he essentially flips all of her allies uh, onto his side and gains their sympathy. It's an extraordinary speech, and I'll tell you what, the, the delivery that she turns in after a, a mere hour of looking at something that she's never seen before is unreal. It, it's so exciting. I'm really excited to share these with the world because I think, I think what's great about the series as a whole is that everyone's brought their unique process and insights. And across that, there are commonalities, which I think are reassuring because it shows that these aren't a little bit like I'm trying to uh, take Shakespeare off the genius pedestal. Similarly, I'm trying to take the actors off the um, it's all intuition pedestal because mm -hmm. of, that people are doing some of the same things. There are commonalities to the approach. And that means that if you do those things, you might be able to get similar results, right? Or at least you can start heading on that trajectory. But then similarly, they've all got their own pearls of wisdom that are leaping out uh, at you from kind of sideways angles that are making you think about things in a way that you never really have before. Uh, that's incredibly exciting as well. You know, I, I think one of the things that immediately jumps to mind is in Miguel's episode, he talks about the relationship between the nurse and Juliet as being paralleled by the relationship of Falstaff and Hal. And that just hit, hit me sideways and provided a brand new context for so much of Juliet's willfulness and defiance that actually she's been raised, as Hal was, by someone of a different class and that is free to pursue their passions and desires uh, in a way that is less constrained by society, all the rest of it. And, and that's just one five minute piece of that episode. So you can imagine uh, how much more there is in store. That's amazing. That's an incredible lineup. And and the first thing that occurs to me is that, oh, you have six episodes of your podcast? That's adorable, Rob. Six episodes. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, I do have a new appreciation now for what goes into producing a podcast. Um, I think ignorance uh, can be an ally in some situations because then you get yourself into a situation and the only way out is through. Uh, and I've learned a lot uh, from the process of, uh, you know, recording and editing and uh, especially via Zoom uh, where, you know, situations are so variable, uh, recording setups and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been uh, hammering the YouTube audio, audio tutorials <laughs> and all the rest of it. It's, yeah, it's been an education. It's been fascinating. Well, and speaking of it being an education, has it, how has it helped you as either an actor or director? I mean, has talking to these mm -hmm. actors given you uh, different ways of thinking about how to talk to actors? Has hearing about other actors' approach uh, helped your uh, approach to your own acting? Because I, I'm, I'm, it, was, it was incredibly reassuring just to listen to Isabel's episode, the first one that's dropped, to, to, to have to, 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 as you say, reassuring to go, oh, it's fun to see Isabel doing the same thing I do. And then hear a couple of things. I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely um, evolved the way that I think about the process and articulating the process. You know, there's a lot of particular words and phrases that people have used that I've stolen now already. <laughs> um, Ajoando refers to it as Shakespeare's inky finger uh, pointing at the page and saying, look at this, do this bit like mm. this. Uh, and I just I just love that image because again um, the ink on the fingers the the uh, the guttural visceral um, play right like a ship right hewing it out of wood um, you know it, it just has that um, hands on quality to it that I think we it's very easy for us to forget nowadays 
Um, so it's definitely evolved my thinking. As you said, it's also been reassuring um, because I've been able to stress test, I guess, some of my own pet theories, um, deeply veiled through open questions, <laughs> I suppose you could say, <laughs> um, uh, to try and entice people into discussing certain things in certain ways. Um, and I've been thrilled that, uh, by and large, the people that I've spoken to so far, because of course, there hopefully will be more of these episodes and we may find people that completely disagree. And I'm always excited when that happens, um, because I, I always want my thinking and approach to be challenged and stretched um, and, and, you know, so on. So. It's definitely changed the way I think about things. It's definitely given me some new tricks in the bag. When I teach Shakespeare, I often refer to it as raiding the treasure house of tradition. So there are all these jewels that people have crafted of ways to approach things. And if you like the look of them, steal them and put them on your personal necklace, put them in your lapel, whatever. If you're if they're not working for you, if you don't like the color, if you don't like the shape, bin it. There's far more to choose from. But if it works for you, it's there. And, you know, the mission of this podcast really it is an extension of the mission of the show must go online in some ways in that it's about widening access to the practice, the practical doing of Shakespeare and putting those advanced techniques, I suppose, in the hands of anyone that wants to try them and doing so hopefully in a way that doesn't put in a barrier to entry where you need to know the meaning of certain arcane words before you can um, enter into this discussion or anything like that. You know, if, if we refer to iambic pentameter, I try to explain it's five alternating pairs of soft and strong stresses. You know, I'm, I'm always challenging myself to remind um, experienced people and to introduce less experienced people to the concepts that we're talking about instead of just referring to them by their, you know, ancient Greek rhetorical uh, header. Well, and you said that some of your theories are are, are deeply veiled in open-ended questions. And, and <laughs> some of them, thankfully, are not deeply veiled because lest anybody think that these conversations get too precious, you literally said to Isabel, you know, every, if it looks like a knob joke in Shakespeare, it's probably a knob joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So we're we're also it's highfalutin text analysis, but it's also down and dirty. You know, this was Shakespeare was a showman, and he wrote dick jokes for the plebes. Hundred percent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is Elizabeth Dennehy, or Lieutenant Commander Shelby from Star Trek Next Generation. I'd like to welcome you to the Reduce Shakespeare Company's podcast. Well, at least it's not a convention. Where can you RSC the RSC? Well, you just missed our first Midwest swing last week in Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana, but we'll be playing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, at the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan, on November 9th and 10th. To see where we'll be performing in early 2023, check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Rob Miles talking about the first season of his extraordinary Owning Shakespeare podcast. I think it's important, I guess, with text work because the, this idea of text work has accreted around it over many, many years that it is somehow 
an elitist practice or that it's a lofty or an academic practice, where really all you're doing is just saying, how do I do this? How do I say this? And where is the meaning and how do I extract it? And how do I get you, the audience, to feel it and to understand it? Um, Adua, in her episode, had a brilliant point where she said, I don't want to see anything I don't understand. Yeah. So the first job is to make sure that the audience can follow what I'm saying. And all of these tools, which again, have these arcane terms surrounding them and have uh, this kind of cultural uh, accretion around them that makes it sound like it's um, academic or high-minded, all they are is socket wrenches and spanners and screws and rivets and bolts that help you put the machine together that is gonna take the audience where you want them to go. Yeah. Um, and, and I think thinking of it as like stripping down the engine and building it up, for me, is a more accurate assessment of what we're doing in reality um, than, I don't, I don't know what you'd call the, the opposite version of it, but um, having your head in the clouds and, and um, sinking yourself into a warm bath of exquisitely perfumed Shakespeare. You know, it's, it's not that. It's, yeah. it's how do I communicate this to you, for you? Right. Um, well, and yes, as, uh, yeah, as they say, clarity begins at home. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, it's always fascinating to listen to actors talk about their process, but that's not true. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not always fascinating. And God Hand knows me I, untrue, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've certainly worked with and interviewed one or two actors who are really good at doing, but not so much at talking about it. And one mm -hmm. of my, gun to my head, of one of my favorite podcast episodes that I've done was with my friend Adrian Scarborough, who talks mm. about playing the fool and talks about all of it talks about the stuff that you have mentioned, like what 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 has uh, glommed onto the reputation of the fool, how some of the text that the fool has to say is impenetrable babble in his phrase, <laughs> yeah, and how you find how you navigate and uh, a path machete your way a path through this this verbal undergrowth and that's incredibly valuable for those of us working on this text all the time. You know, seeing how, seeing the size of the machete other actors use, <laughs> you know, whether they're the clear way they cutting, swing it. <laughs> yeah, is it a machete? Is it a scalpel? You know, how do you get through this tangle of uh, words? It's a fascinating kind of never ending quest. For sure, for sure. Yes, I think it can be, tedious at times if someone is pontificating about their process and I think I hope what the format here does by taking a piece that people don't know and by telling them they're going to have to perform it in an hour's time you remove a lot of the barriers um, that sometimes can be used to present the magicianship of process as opposed to um, or the illusion of process as opposed to the actual magicianship. That's the, that's it. So the illusion of process is maybe what you would sometimes see people talking about, which is designed to serve an image of oneself that you're trying to promote, that I, I am a savant at this and I'm brilliant at it and I've found so many insightful things. By throwing people in blind uh, and giving them an end point that they have to get to in not much time at all, I hope what that does is activate and pressurize that process and put it under 
more realistic conditions so that then you're seeing a better analogy of what those actors might be doing when they're in the rehearsal room for real. And so that was part of how we structured it and, and conceived it so that um, we could make sure that we, we bypassed any self-filtering, I suppose, because I, th I think what's really important for an audience that wants permission to give this a go is hearing experts and legends in the game making mistakes and fluffing it and figuring it out as they go and going, oh, I think this is this, I think, no, 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 it's not, it's this. And I think being able to see people auditioning routes, you know, hacking down a path with a machete to find a big tree is in the way and having a backtrack. That is all part of the process. That's legitimate, that's work. Progress is still progress, even if it's not the direction you intended to go in, so. Well, and I remember the 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 morning. It was morning for me. The morning that we recorded our episode, I thought I was hopping onto a call to discuss when we would record our episode. That's right. Yeah, I'm and much. then <laughs> you threw me right into it. So it was very, very much exactly what you say on the tin. You know, throw the actor uh, into the tech. I had chosen the speech, but I hadn't done anything other than that. So everything that happened in my episode, particularly, is uh, or my episode specifically was actually happening in real time yeah spontaneous absolutely yeah. and I think it's important for people to know that and I think it's important for um, them to experience it when they're listening because then you understand that like anyone else these are human mortals that are <laughs> wrestling with the same uh, intellectual thickets that uh, you as an audience might be, uh, or you as an actor that is trying to prepare a piece for performance uh, might be facing. That there, there is always an uphill battle with this and how far uphill you choose to go <laughs> um, can vary widely. Um, but I hope that with this, there's some pathfinding and some techniques that can say, actually, if I have to scale a new mountain, I can steal this, this ice axe from this person and this rope from this person, and we can try and get through it. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Season one of Rob Miles' Owning Shakespeare podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Check it out and then send us your tricks for speaking Shakespeare via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareance.com. You can also follow Rob Miles with a Y on Twitter at Rob Miles and on Instagram at rob.miles. Thanks as always to text defective Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Eamon Gormley. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Elizabeth Dennehy, an amazing text detective in her own right. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Tishner, 825 2475ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Do you have uh, sort of dream guests for season two? Yes, I do. Yes, there's a there's a long list. There are many, many brilliant Shakespeare actors out there. Um, I'd love to get Denzel Washington on the show. Sure. I would love to get, and this is a left field choice, 
Nicolas Cage on the show. Uh, I'd love to get Sophie Okonedo on the show. Uh, I'd love to get Ruth Negger on the show. I'd love to get uh, Papa Esiedu on the show, Michaela Cole on the show, uh, Noma Dumaswani on the show, Idris Elba on the show. Um, I wouldn't mind talking to Daniel Craig. Always nice to see Daniel Craig, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and actually, you know what? One of my other top choices is Anthony Mackie because he obviously now is Captain America amazing but he started at Juilliard and he drops Shakespeare on command there's a million Austin there are there are too many actors that will have nice and good and interesting and fascinating things to say about this um, and I want to get them all on tape I mean I think so there's a generation of actors that were around in the 70s with um, people like Peter Brook and Peter Hall and John Barton people like Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, Judi Dench, that for whatever reason have been coded as the Shakespeareans of that age. And as they are getting on in years, um, not a criticism, just a fact, I would love to use this as a time capsule to preserve generational knowledge before it is lost. Because what the greatest loss that we could face in the death of the repertory tradition and the moving of actor training into the conservatoire and out of the theatre is that we don't get to work with and get to know these actors and their processes so that we can benefit from them in the future. And because digital media lasts forever, <laughs> we could at least get some insight into how those actors that have been considered the gold standard got to that place and executed it. And of course you've got um, John Barton's show, uh, which goes into some of that detail, but it was very prepared and it was very much John Barton's way with some actors illustrating it. And what I want to know is what is that, 50 years later? What else have those actors learned? Given they were already extraordinary then, 50 years more time has passed since we last heard from them on this topic. So let's get them in, let's find out what difference that's made so that those of us that are hopefully gonna carry that torch forward can do so with a bit more substance. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.